Don't you know love is the greatest thing that the world has ever known? so pumped to be with you guys here. If those of you who don't know me, my name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time here, we are so happy you're here. If you're watching from any of our campuses throughout the state of New Jersey or you're watching online, you're listening on the podcast, we want to say welcome. Great to have you with the family. In fact, why don't we take some time to welcome our family watching throughout the state. So glad you guys are all here with us. Because today is our grand finale of our series, Love Comes to Town. And this has been a phenomenal series. We've been spending the past six weeks learning how we can love one another better. And it doesn't matter what campus you go to. It doesn't matter what small group you're in. We've all been kind of moving through all of this together. In fact, we've been using these awesome group guides to help us go deeper in this. And so that we can love the hard-to-love people in our lives and kind of continue to build on that. In fact, I really love just what God is doing in many of your lives. Like, I love the feedback my small group's been giving as we've been doing this. But even what you are sharing on social media has been really fun. Like, I saw this the other day on Facebook from Laura. She says this, really enjoying the study. It was good to have my eyes opened after the self-assessment. Now, who remembers week one doing the self-assessment? You guys remember this? We, we kind of wrote down the name of some of those hard-to-love people, those folks that we wanted to get better at loving. And so then Laura goes on and says this, the next week, God provided unique opportunities to love three people that were lower on my assessment without me seeking it out. Because of the study, I had a more open attitude to show these people more love and acceptance. God is good. Amen? Amen. God is good. So how are you doing? How have the past few weeks been? Are you growing in your ability to love other people in your lives? Are you, are you, are you developing that? In fact, the other day, you know, I, was hearing, I was talking with someone, they were saying, you know, Nathan, you know, we have this boss, and he really is demeaning. He speaks really down to us. But uh, you know, we, we were in the service, and we were learning about speaking the truth in love. So we actually went out and pulled out our books, and we went back to our boss, and we started to, to do what, what it actually says, what we learned Sunday morning. And we said, you know, you are a much better leader than this. You, you don't have to be doing and leading and talking to us this way. And it worked. The boss actually apologized to them and their division, and she said it was, it was awesome. She's like, it's amazing. Like, the things that we learn on Sunday, we can actually do them on Monday. Like, it was really a really powerful thing, and that's my hope. My hope is that you don't just go home and think the series is over, I can move on to something else. No, no, I hope this is a beginning of a renaissance in your life, a beginning of learning to love well, people both close to you and far away. In fact, that's why today we're going to talk about everlasting love. How do we make love last a lifetime? How do we make love just kind of burst forth from our lives or just kind of overflows naturally in an organic way? And one of the things that, you know, when we talk about everlasting love, it really is the way God loves us, right? We know that God is going to love us in a way that is uh, unchanging, that is consistent, that is eternal, that is uh, unconditional. 
But oftentimes we look at one another, we kind of wonder sometimes, can we really have that kind of love with people? But literally, it's imprinted in our DNA sometimes, you know? Like, think about the songs that we love to listen to as a culture, right? We love these love songs about love everlasting, or the TV shows that you watch, the movies you watch. I mean, come on. Someone's got to keep the Hallmark Channel in business, right? Because this idea of everlasting love, we build rituals around it and symbols. In fact, this really interesting uh, symbol you actually can go see in Paris, it's called the Love Bridge. How many of you have ever seen the Love Bridge? Any of you actually ever been to the Love Bridge? Okay, a few of you have. It's kind of interesting, the Love Bridge, because what happens is it's actually in Paris over the Seine River. And what happens is that couples will, will come there who are in love, and what they'll do is they'll actually buy a lock, a lock actually like this. And so they'll get one of these locks, and they'll actually write down their name on it, and they'll write down the name of the person that they love on it. They'll, they'll lock it onto the bridge, and they'll actually lock it, and then they'll throw the key into the Lasane River as a way to symbolize that our love is unbroken, it's unbreakable, it's permanent, it ain't going anywhere. Signed, sealed, delivered. That's our love. It is so popular, in fact, that in 2015 they outlawed it because it's causing structural damage to the bridge. Like literally, the bridge is collapsing in on itself by the weight of all of these locks. It's like the metal is twisting and all this stuff. It's causing all this damage. In fact, this practice has spread all over the world. You can see it in Seoul, South Korea, and in London, and in, even in New York City in the Brooklyn Bridge. Like, but why do we do stuff like this? Because we have this idea that seems to be undying, that love can be eternal, that love can be everlasting. And we, that's the kind of love we want, a love that's locked in, it's not going anywhere. But it's not just a, a romantic kind of love. We want this love in our friendships, right? We want those battle-tested, time-tested relationships, our friendships that will go the distance. Or even with family members. We want family that's going to stick to us through, with, through, through good times and bad times. Locked in love. We, we desire that. We want that. We, we sing about it. We watch shows about it to kind of reinforce this idea, which is really why it's heartbreaking when we actually look at reality and it seems like there's such a big gap between everlasting love and reality. Well, take even in marriage. You look at some of the statistics in America on marriage, and it can actually be kind of depressing. In fact, the percentage of the divorce rates in America for first marriages is 40%. And then when you look at second marriages, they go up to 62%. And then third marriages go up to 73%. And it gets worse and worse the further down you go. Now, I'm not sharing this with you to make you feel bad or, or to condemn you, because I know that many of us at our, all of our campuses have in one way, shape, or form, we've been touched by divorce, we've been shaped by it. So I'm not saying this to condemn you or, or to do anything like that, but just to say this is the reality that we live in. And that I believe we as the church, as we get better at loving others, can actually break some of the, the molds that are there. We can do better. But part of the thing is we have to acknowledge that this is the reality. And part of that reality is that millennials, folks in their 20s and 30s, look at their parents' marriages and they see how many of them have been touched by divorce or they've grown up in divorce, so they're a little bit wary of marriage. They're a little bit cautious about marriage. And this also bears out in the numbers as well. In fact, in 2000, married 25 to 30-year-olds outnumbered those that were singles. It was 55% to 30%. In 2015, it actually flip-flopped. And the numbers actually became 53% were single and 40% were married. Now, there's all sorts of reasons that sociologists can give about that. But really, I think a big part of it is I think there's this disillusionment that love is eternal, right? That there's this love that's, that really can last forever, right? Like, the everlasting love can't be a real thing. It's, it's like a fairy tale. It's a unicorn. It's, it's something that's out there, but it's not real. 
But, you know, I really do think that part of the reason why we have this desire is I think we've had, we've had tastes and glimpses of what everlasting love looks like. Maybe not romantically, but maybe through our friendships. I know some of you have had those friendships since kindergarten. Like, you're still friends with those people that you, you, know, that you were playing in the sandbox with today. You know, my mom was a nursing student in Bombay, India, or Mumbai, India in the 70s. She still sees her nursing school friends at least once a year, and they're all over the world. One's in Dubai, one's in California, one's in uh, the UK. But every year they get together because they have this bond. They're like sisters. Like, for them, that's what everlasting love looks like. That's the love that's locked in. And so they see each other every year because really they're sisters. And I know for some of us, we have those kind of friendship groups. I know for for many of us, we kind of struggle with everlasting love with some of our friends. In fact, I was talking to a guy who was telling me that, Nathan, it's really hard to make new friends in your 30s. You know, like, I had this one group of friends in college, and we were so tight. Like, we did everything together, went to class, and would hang out together. Uh, And then we even were in each other's weddings. But over time, things started to change. Like, one couple, they started having kids. And, you know, they got really involved in their kids' activities, and, and pretty soon we didn't see them as much. Another couple had to move away from work, and, uh, you know, we'd keep in touch by phones and texting, but that eventually faded. And another, another couple broke up and felt kind of awkward, didn't know how to navigate that. And then my own life just got busier. Work got crazier. We had our own kids, and pretty soon we had all these crazy schedules. Now the only people I hang out with that are adults are the friends of my kids' friends. And I'm kind of like going, you know, this is okay, but is this going to change again when they get a new set of friends? Like, what happened to those battle-tested, time-tested friendships that will never end, that would that always be there, that would be everlasting? So, you know, it's funny, like, a couple of us are having this conversation, and uh, someone else pipes up, well, you know, my mom used to say to us that, you know, friends come and go, but family's forever. And, you know, she comes from a super tight family. I mean, they make the Navy SEALs look, like, dysfunctional. But, like... <laughs> Super, super tight family, super close. They've always got each other's backs. And I know many of you come from those kind of families, like, you know, you know blood is thicker than water type deal. Uh, but that's not true for everybody, right? You know, I remember I was talking to someone who was telling me the other day, you know, Nathan, I had a really good relationship with my parents. I thought we were unbreakable until I married my wife. And then they just seemed to cut me off because they didn't like her. And so I thought my parents could give me unconditional love, but clearly that wasn't the case. But we've seen these examples, we've seen these hints of what everlasting love could like. It kind of begs this question, how do we make love last a lifetime? How do we make love last a lifetime? Not just in romantic relationships, but with our friendships, with our family members. How do we make love that's going to be locked in, that's not going to move, that's not going to go anywhere? And, you know, I know that that's the kind of love that I want in my own life. You know, when I first met my wife, Jackie, I, it, for me, it was like love at first sight. Like, I saw her beautiful green eyes, her dark hair, and I was in. Like, I was like, I thought God told me that I was going to marry her, right? Uh, God didn't tell her that yet. That was, that took some convincing. But, but you know, uh, with, with, over time, you know, we've been married for now a little over eight and a half years. And I got to tell you, it's been hard. There have been times where we've really struggled, and it was dark, and it was ugly. There have been times where we've just really experienced just connection and healing and deep forgiveness. And I, I've got to say, uh, I feel like I love my wife more now than when I first saw her for the first time. B- because, you know, we've gone through everything together. She's my best friend. She's my closest confidant. She's my, my partner in life. And over time, I've kind of came to this realization. You know, we think that everlasting love is like this love at first sight thing. I think love at first sight's easy. 
Because it's really like attraction and arousal. You know what, what's really the miracle? When you can look at someone for a lifetime and still say that you love them. That, I think, is so powerful. And I look forward to God over the years learning to love my wife in that way. And so today, I want to look at how can we have that kind of love that's going to last a lifetime. That's not going to change. So I want to encourage you, go ahead and open up to page 28 in your group guides. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. So why don't you go ahead and turn there. And as you're kind of getting set up there, uh, you know, this past series, we've really just been focusing in on one chapter. It's chapter 13 in 1 Corinthians. And what's kind of neat about 1 Corinthians 13 is it's actually a poem. If you look in the original language, it's a poem. It's a love song. And so now what we're going to look at today is the one verse that kind of wraps it all up, that kind of summarizes it and brings it all together. And that's in verse 7. In fact, I would like us to have us all read it together out loud. But what I want you to do is actually look to the screens because I like how the New International Version actually uh, parses it out a little bit better than the New Living Translation that's in your group guide. So on the screens together with one big loud voice. Ready? Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. See, this little verse that kind of summarizes this entire thoughts from this entire section, I believe has some really important insights to teach us about love that lasts a lifetime, everlasting love. In fact, I want to look at three of them. And the first insight is that everlasting love is a choice. Everlasting love is a choice. Let's take a look at this verse again. I want to look at these four words, right? They're highlighted here. Protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. One of the things that you notice about these four words is that they're verbs, which means they're actions, which means it's things that you do. It's not things that happen to you. It's actually things that you do. It's effort that you put into it. It's, it's uh, energy that you are putting in to any kind of relationship we have in our lives. Everlasting love is a choice. It's a decision that you and I make that we choose to manage day in and day out. Now, I think sometimes we we kind of get stuck with this idea that love can actually be a decision because the concept of of love is is pretty much romantic, right? Love is like the euphoric emotions that you feel. It's the butterflies in your stomach. It's like, I love you, kissy face, right? That's kind of like what what kind of love gets boiled down to. But true locked-in love says, I have decided to love you, and that's it. And I make this decision every day. I manage this decision every day. Every day I choose to sacrifice and serve you, my brother, my sister, my roommate, my friend, my spouse, my partner, over myself. That really, I think, is one of a powerful key in everlasting love. Everlasting love says, I'm going to listen even though I want to be heard. You guys ever have that experience where you've just had, like, the craziest of days? Like, you know, you've got that one weird coworker and they're extra weird that day and you're like, oh, I got to tell my roommate this. They're not going to believe it, right? And so, you know, you got all these stories and you kind of come rushing through the door like, I got to tell you this stuff. But then you take a look at your roommate or your spouse and you're like, oh, they had a day. And so you kind of slow down a little bit and you pause and say, hey, uh, how was your day? And then it just all comes out. It just pours out and keeps going out and more. And somewhere in this conversation where you're listening uh, to your friend or your roommate or your spouse, you realize, you know, I'm probably not going to get to share about my day. I probably need to actually take a step back and sacrifice and listen. That's what everlasting love does. It decides that I'm going to choose to love you, which means I'm going to sacrifice so that you can can flourish. I want to care for you before I care for myself. Another thing about everlasting love is it's patient. It's not quick to action. 
It's not quick to kind of, you know, get its own way. And I know that many of us, you know, if you're in a relationship where you're dating or you're engaged, you're getting closer, you're getting intimate, and you want to kind of go all the way. You don't want to wait for love. You want love right now. But it gets tough, right? And so we're in this place where what does love really look like? You know, do I just go with what I feel and maybe cross some physical boundaries? Or do I actually take a step back and realize, you know, if love is patient and then love protects, what does it look like for me to do that? Maybe it means I need to protect the integrity of our relationship. It means I need to protect the purity of this person and even myself. If, if love is patient and love protects, then love says, I'm going to deny my own feelings and my own urges so that God can be honored and I can honor this other person. Because everlasting love is patient. It doesn't kind of push for its own way. One of the things I think is so powerful, if you want a love that's locked in, you need to realize that everlasting love is a choice. It chooses to be permanent. It chooses to stick it out no matter what. It's the first insight that we see about everlasting love. It's a choice. second insight that we see in this little verse is that everlasting love expects the best. Everlasting love expects the best. This verse is actually in this literary structure. It's called a, a chiasm. You don't need to worry about it. All, all you need to know is that the first word and the last word kind of rhyme, like lovey-dovey. But it's kind of interesting because it kind of gives it some greater emphasis. In fact, when we look at these two words, trust and hope, they're actually meant to be read together. And actually, they talk about the future orientation of love, that love isn't just about the present. It's actually looking forward to the future in a hopeful, positive, optimistic way, in a way that's actually trustworthy, in a way that actually expects the best out of people. And one of the things, the hardest things for us to do as human beings on planet Earth is to expect the best of other people. Because if we've been hurt by others or we've had experiences, we always are kind of waiting for someone to kind of, you know, get us, right? If, if, one, if the shoe drops, we're waiting for the other one to fall, too. But if we are practicing everlasting love and we understand it's a choice, it's a choice to choose to trust. You know, someone was telling me the other day that they were having a hard time with one of their coworkers. This was someone that just could not hit deadlines. If they said a project was due Monday at 5, it would come to them Tuesday at 6. If they were supposed to be at a meeting at 9 a.m., they would get there at 9.45 and so this was a constant thing. And so my friend was saying, you know, I, I realized I had to make this choice, right? I either had to say, um, that's just how it is. Like, that's, this person is just consistently unreliable. I can't trust them. And that's just how it's going to be. Or, or I can actually see them as better as they are. And so what my friend did was he decided to speak the truth in love. He actually came to this person and he said, listen, um, I really think you're a great leader. I think that you have what it takes to really take our organization to the next level, you know, into the future. And I want to help you with that. So what I want to do is I want to come alongside of you and help you. In fact, I've noticed that you've had a couple of deadlines that were late. In fact, I think we can eliminate that. What can I do to help serve you, to come alongside of you, to help move into the future? See, everlasting love is willing to come alongside of others to help them fulfill their potential. Everlasting love doesn't just tell it like it is. It actually tells it like it could be. It casts vision for a better future. And that's what my friend did. He said, it's a lot better than sometimes the other results that you get. But I know that some of you are thinking, you're like, Nathan, that's a really naive way of seeing the world. You think that that's really like how things go? I mean, if someone you know, misses a deadline, they're fired or they're out. Like, come on. Like, do you really think that that, that's a better way to do it, just to trust people? 
Now, I can understand that, you know, we don't want to have this kind of Pollyanna view of the world where everything is awesome, everything is great, you know. Uh, But I do think we have a choice whether we want to live in such a way we're willing to give people trust or not. I think on the one extreme, we can just be gullible and we believe everything and kind of go along with anything that comes our way. The other extreme is we become cynical, right? And we don't believe anything and we're super critical and, and we're difficult to be around. But I think we can actually come to a healthy kind of third way, if you will. Or we can live in such a way where we can actually, you know, kind of uh, have the, the tendency to give people our trust and, and give them the benefit of the doubt quickly. In fact, not only do we see evidence of this in Scripture, we also see evidence of this in psychology. Dr. Julian Rotten from the University of Connecticut spent years studying the consequences of trust in human behavior. And he says this, that people that trust live happier lives, have higher IQs, and are actually consistently less gullible. And here's why. Because when you learn to give people the benefit of the doubt, it doesn't mean that you forget or kind of pretend that those things don't happen, but you're dialed into reality. But you're saying it's better off if I give people trust rather than try to make them earn it. If I can live in that way, I can see better results. I can see people rise to the occasion. Because what often happens is we have these expectations for people, right? And whenever we are hurt, it's because those expectations are broken. You have an expectation here, and someone meets you there, and there's a gap between where your expectations are. And in that gap, you and I have a choice. Do we want to fill that gap with trust? Or do you want to fill it with suspicion? Trust will build relationships. Suspicion will erode them. How do we do that? What does that look like? Let me, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, say you have a kid and you told, hey, I'm about to leave for work. You're in charge of mowing the lawn. When I get home, the lawn's got to be mowed. The hedge has got to be hedged. Um, <laughs> shows you how much lawn work I do. Uh, the yard has to be cleaned up. Uh, and when I come home, that's my expectation. So uh, what happens is you go off, you come home, and you notice that the lawn hasn't been mowed, and the hedges are still a mess, and it just seems like there's just a, it's like your, your lawn became like a landfill, and you're like, what happened? I thought, and you look for your son or your daughter, and you find them, and you start to lean into them, like, I can't believe how irresponsible you are. You know, you, you do your whole thing. And then when you finally pause to take a breath, they just say, can I just tell you what happened? You know, I, I was about to get the lawnmower out, but then over, over the neighbor... He, he collapsed, and so I went over there, and I stayed with him, and, and they called 911 to, to get an ambulance so that he could be better, and by the, by the time it was all over, it was too dark. What would have happened if you chose trust over suspicion in that moment? You could have built a bridge rather than trying to, like, apologize and kind of rebuild and re-catch up. Or ever, ever have this happen, like you're on your phone, you're kind of flipping through Instagram, and then all of a sudden you see all your friends, and they're all at the escape room without you. And you're like, oh, I can't believe they didn't invite me. And you kind of go off on this tirade, right? And the next day you see one of them. And so, you know, your style is the mockingbird. Remember we talked about the mockingbird last week? You're the mockingbird. You're sarcastic and caustic. And, and you're like, oh, it looks like you had a great time at the escape room. You know, and, and you're going off. And your friend's like, dude, what is your problem? He goes, well, wh- why didn't I get invited? We did invite you. You're like, what? Yeah, check your texts. And you go in your pocket. And you, you, sure enough, there's the text that you didn't see. Trust versus suspicion. When you lead with trust, you build bridges. When you lead with suspicion, you've got to rebuild all of those things that have fallen down. You see, you want to live in everlasting love? We need to learn to expect the best in others and start to make that our default. 
It's not easy. But everlasting love, the love that's kind of locked in, that's permanent, it's just not easy. Because everlasting love is a choice. It's a decision that you and I make every single day, every single moment. We have to decide, will we love? Will we choose to, to be sacrificial and serve? But everlasting love also expects the best from others. It says, I'm going to choose trust over suspicion and build relationship rather than break it. And the final insight I want to look at is this, is that everlasting love endures the worst. Everlasting love endures the worst. You know, even though everlasting love, it expects the best, it's able to endure the worst. In fact, let's look at verse 7 here. If trust and hope is talking about the future, what's coming up, protects and perseveres talks about the present. How do we get through right now? Well, everlasting love protects. It's interesting, in the original Greek, the word protects is actually, it means roof. Like, what does a roof do? A roof protects our, us from the elements, right? It protects us from rain and snow and hail and hurricanes and all that stuff. And in the first century, it's interesting, because in the first century, remember, they didn't have any electricity, they didn't have any gas, they didn't have any air conditioning, they didn't have any heat. And so uh, Corinth was a city that was actually right by the Mediterranean, and so when it rained, it rained. Like, they would have entire seasons where it was, like, flooding, and so the roofs would actually protect the houses from the rain. But also, it would get hot. Like, literally, like, you know, these houses are made out of stone, so literally it's like you're living in an oven, right? And it would often get so hot that the roof would then become the ground floor for where people would sleep when they were cooling down. The roof actually would function to protect them that way. It would literally put up with everything. It would bear anything that would come their way. And so when it comes to everlasting love, when we're in the midst of hard times, difficult times, painful times, true love will put up with anything. It'll push through the hardest of times, the most difficult of times. Because that's what love does. It actually leads with patience. Because the, the power of patience is that we can push through. We don't know when it's going to end, but we can trust that God is leading us in the midst of this. In fact, I love what Ephesians 4.2 says. It says this, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making what? Allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Listen, if we're honest... People will, will let us down, right? We, we know this. We've experienced this. Even well-intentioned, well-meaning people, they're going to let us down. They're going to drop the ball. They're going to make bad choices. But what patience says is, I'm going to put up with it. I'm going to, to endure it. Because if, if patience isn't the roof of love in our lives, it's going to make things difficult to endure. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to endure everlasting love a love that's locked in, is willing to push through no matter how bad the rain comes down, no matter how hot things get, how difficult it gets, everlasting love is locked in. In fact, that's what my friend Manny's been learning. Manny's actually the high school coordinator over at Essex County. Essex County, what's up? We love you. That's right. Woohoo. <laughs> and uh, one of the things, uh, you know, as I've been getting to know Manny, is Manny's got a pretty incredible story of how God has been teaching him and showing him everlasting love that's really been speaking to me. Um, a few years ago, Manny's mom was actually diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And over the past year, Manny made a courageous decision to actually step away from his own job so that he could be her caretaker. And I actually want us to take a moment right now to take a look and see what everlasting love looks like. Let's watch. In 2011, my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I look at her, I was like, Mom, uh, what are you doing? Why do you keep on writing things down? And she couldn't even talk to me. All she did was cry. 
I called my sister right away to tell her what was going on, that my mom is forgetting what dates, that our life is about to take a change and we're gonna lose the mom that we once had. So that struggle of losing the mom that loved to cook, um, loved to have family over and enjoy just life, we're not gonna have that. My father married to her for 40 years to, her, to him to think about that he's gonna lose his significant other. She's there physically, but she's not there mentally. After 14 years working for a trucking company, decided, you know what, my family needs me. You never think that you gotta take care of your parents, right? Your parents is always caring for you. For you. Especially my mom got to a situation that um, she needs 24-hour care. Um, so it's very draining because, you know, I'm thinking my mom, she should be caring for me. You know, it's tough, like, to care. Um, and it's just heartbreaking because you're, I guess I'm caring for her, um, but do she know who's caring for her? See, I know who she is, but do she know who I am? And that's, a, that's one of the toughest things to care for someone that you have such a deep relationship with and you lose it like that, that she don't know who's caring for her. If I could love my mom with all my heart and give her what she needs at times that she gets so frustrated and she don't allow me to help her and that breaks you inside, it's tough because she just fights back. So when she looks at you, it's like anger. But knowing that I still able to help on her, she has shown me that love is something that's unconditional and that no matter what you're getting on return is that I'm, from my heart, feels good just to give, to so honor her. Even when my mom is losing more and more of herself, I just see how God still shows love on her, how she still is my mom. You know, I can't imagine what that's like. You know, our, our moms, you know, when they, they brought us into this world and they changed our diapers and they taught us to walk and now here Manny is essentially, that role is flipped. He's helping his mom go to the bathroom. He's helping her shower and bathe and change while she's fighting him. It's a lot. And I know that for Manny too, it, he, he's not getting much in return as he's watching his mom slowly kind of slip away. And I know that there's times where he's wrestled with, you know, would it be better if, you know, you know, we just put her mom in a facility and maybe I got a higher paying job and, you know, all those thoughts come to him. And I ask him, Manny, how do you even do this, man? Like, I couldn't imagine. Like, how, how can you, what gets you through this? What enables you to do this? And he says, you know, Nathan, my mom taught me about Jesus. And she taught me that the love that Jesus had for me was unbreakable 
And so she taught me about Christ. And so when I look at my mom, I know that God wants me to love her. So I'm locked in. I'm not going anywhere. See, to me, this is a picture of what everlasting love is. It's not the butterflies in our stomachs. It's not the flurry of emotions that we feel. It's the choice that we make to lay down our lives so that someone else can be served. It's how Jesus loves. Jesus chooses to love you and I at great cost to himself, at great sacrifice. You know, Manny is in his mid-30s. He's in the prime of his life. And yet he's chosen to use the time that he has to actually serve his mom, to, to, to love on her in this way. You know, when Jesus was 33 years old, he, he, he came to us, and we wanted nothing to do with him. We saw no need for a Savior. In fact, we were while we were still enemies of God, he came to us, and he opened his arms wide, and he embraced us, and we cursed him, and we pushed him away, and we wanted nothing to do with him. But he said, I chose to love you, and my love for you is locked in, and I threw away the key. There is nothing that's going to separate you from my love, amen? There is nothing that you can do that's going to chase me away. There's nothing that you can do that's going to uh, exhaust the reserves of my love. I'm in it forever. In fact, Jesus personifies love. Do you, do you know that? That when we look at 1 Corinthians 13, you know, oftentimes it's about the love. It's like the love chapter. But if we took the word love out and put the name Jesus in there, you know what it would say? Jesus always protects. Amen? Jesus always trusts. Amen? Jesus always hopes. And Jesus always perseveres. If you want to know what love looks like, you look to Jesus on the cross. He has shown you love. He has demonstrated love. And he wants nothing more than to fill you with the love of God. That's everlasting love. That's everlasting love. It's a choice. Jesus made a choice to love you. In the same way, we can learn to love by looking to Jesus as his example. Who do we need to choose to love, even if it's demanding? Because that's the kind of love that's locked in. Everlasting love also expects the best. Not in a naive way, or not in a way that's, you know, not, is, that's divorced from reality, but it expects the best knowing that you know, if God is at work in all situations, things are going to get better. And I can expect the best of people. I don't need to just tell people as it is. I can tell it how it could be. I can choose trust over suspicion. And everlasting love endures the worst. That love is able to give us the strength to push through. The love that comes from Jesus. I have a question for you. Who do you need to extend everlasting love to? Who do you need to extend the unbroken, the unrelenting, the unstoppable love of God too in your life today. You know, for Manny, in his 30s, it was his mom. He said, God's called me to love my mom in this way, and so I'm going to do it. Maybe for you, it's your spouse. All the chemistry and the fire seems to be gone in your relationship, and it's like, oh, maybe we're just roommates. But what God's calling you to do is to choose love. You decide. You decide again and again and again to choose love.
Maybe for some of you, it's someone in your family. You know, one of the services I talked to him and said, I need to call my sister. I haven't called her in years. Maybe it's a sibling that maybe things aren't, not that they're not okay, but you just aren't that close. Maybe it's time you need to show them the everlasting love of God. Or maybe right now you're in a season and you're feeling the pressure. There's financial stress. There's relational stress. There's some health issues that are coming up. You need the love of God to endure. You need to remember that there's a God who loves you. There's a God who has a plan for all that's going on in your life right now. And that if you simply run to him for strength, he'll give you everything you need and more to not just survive but to thrive because his eyes are locked in on you. His love for you is locked in. It's not going anywhere. In fact, we can't love the way Jesus loves on our own. Amen? We just can't. We, we just aren't nice enough. We literally need to be filled. We need to have a supernatural encounter in order for us to love the way Jesus loves so that it can pour out into our homes and into our neighborhoods and into our streets and into our nation and into the world. It's a love that literally, as we receive it from God, can get funneled out to those that we know and even those that we don't know. So right now, I just want to invite all of our campus. Would you just stand with me right now? And even though you may be watching on a screen right now, this isn't about me. This is between you and God. I want you just to stand right now, and I want you just symbolically just to hold your arms out as a way to say, Jesus, I want what you got for me. Because right now, we need a supernatural encounter, amen? We need a supernatural encounter with the love of God. We need him to fill us so that it can overflow in our lives and those around us. Holy Spirit, you see us right now all across New Jersey with our hands outright saying, God, we want more of you, Jesus. We want more of your love. We want more of your mercy. We want more of your grace. We want all that you have for us, God. We want every gift that you've, got, you've designed for us, God. We want all that you have for us. Would you right now fill us with your love? Would you fill us with your love right now, God? Not tomorrow, right now, God. Would you just fill us with your love, God? May it overwhelm us. May it overflow us right now, Jesus. Father, anything that's blocking us from receiving your love, maybe it's doubt. We right now break off doubt in the name of Jesus. We break off bitterness right now in the name of Jesus. We break off fear right now in the name of Jesus. We, we break off all the what if, what if, what if. We break all those things off right now in the name of Jesus so that the love of God can flow in us unimpeded. And as the love of God flows out of us, you will give us the answers that we need. You will speak to us the words that we need to hear. You will give us the healing and give us the power that we need to bring it to our families and to our neighborhoods and to the strangers in our lives and those who are far off. God, would you right now heal broken relationships? God, the things that we've been talking about for the past six weeks, God, would you bring them to mind again and again? The people that were lowest on our assessment, would you give us again the ability and the power to love right now? A love that never changes, that will never run out. We ask this, we proclaim this, we take this in Jesus' mighty and awesome and all-conquering name. Amen.